Hi, I'm Dan, and if you're new to homebrewing, so am I. Welcome to my adventures in homebrewing. Hey everybody, it's Dan. It's that time once more to go around the world one more time and have a beer or two along the way. Thanks a lot for coming out this week. Uh, as you saw in the advertising and also the social media stuff, we're going to be talking with Ian from Battlehouse Hops. And they are located out in eastern Ontario, up around where Mississippi, Mississippi Mills Malting Company is. And that's how I found out about them, through Dean Bowes. So if you get a chance, go check out Dean. Great guy, great products. And then we'll be coming back to talk to Ian about the really cool stuff he's growing on his farm. So stay tuned and let's go hear from the sponsors, Escarpment Labs and also Brewer's Friend. Hey, it's Dan here one more time and I'm happy to say that we are now, or should I say my podcast is now sponsored by Escarpment Laboratories. Yeast production for the fermentation of the exceptional craft beer. Whether your kit is on the stovetop or in a commercial brew house, wholesale yeast and quality control for the profitable pro brewer community engagement and education for the discerning home brewery. If you are a craft brewer and you love using quality yeast, then you really do need to check out Escarbon Laboratories. Dan here one more time to say thank you to the great people over at Brewer's Friend for the fantastic offer they've just given us. For all the new users of Brewer's Friend for their first year, you're going to receive 15% off. That's 50% savings on this great piece of software. And what is Brewer's Friend? Well, Brewer's Friend is a complete recipe designer, brew day planner, and journal. The details make the difference between an average batch of homebrew and a truly ex excellent brew that is repeatable. Brewer's Friend automates the details, guides you through the brewing process, and saves all the data. And how do you get all this fun stuff? Well. Once you go in and you sign in and you go to sign up for Brewer's Friend and to get that 15% savings, you need to use the promo code PODCAST. That's all you got to do. When you sign up, type in PODCAST for the promo code and you will get 15% off. Again, thank you to the great people at Brewer's Friend for this and I'll see you on the other side. So we're back, guys. Uh, so we're going to be talking with Ian. And Ian, I met, believe it or not, uh, I was a guy, I am a guide for a, for a beer tour company called Brew Donkey. And I met him at one of the local breweries with my friend Dean, who is a craft maltster. And just in talking, Dean was like, remember how you're saying you wanted to talk to a guy who had a hot farm and all that? He says, yeah, well, stand, sitting right in front of you is Ian and he owns and runs Battlehouse Hops. So I'm very fortunate to have Ian with us today, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us today, bud. Greatly appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me on, Dan. No worries. So um, we're going to do a little bit of a roll-in. So we'd like to know how you actually came to uh, having a hop farm and uh, and growing these fantastic things that give beer that such a great character. Well, I, I guess I still kind of question that myself, uh, <laughs> how I got into it. I mean... It was, uh, so, so we're, we're kind of brand new. We, we just uh, planted last year. Um, you know, the idea came about because, you know, we were looking to move out of the city, uh, you know, huge beer fans in this household, you know, and so we bought this property and we're like, hey, what can we do with it? And, you know, hops was sort of the natural thing, right? Like we love beer, we love craft beer, we love supporting brewers. And so it's just like, hey, let's, let's give this a shot. Let's, let's see how, how we can do with this. And so uh, that's that's kind of how it was all uh, all born. 
Right on. So did you have a previous occupation or life before growing hops? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my background is actually industrial design. Um, so working in the high tech space, designing physical products, user experience, stuff like that. And uh, but, you know, when I look at my family and my grandparents, you know, they were farmers. And so I think it, it just kind of runs in the blood. I think, you know, being able to break away from the computer screen and, and just get your hands dirty. And mm -hmm. there's something that's just super rewarding about about growing your own your own uh, anything. Right. And in this case, hops. But uh, just like to have that tangible object that you grew out of out of basically a piece of root. <laughs> nice. So. Uh, you're out in pa you're, is it Pakenham or is it Elmont? Elmont. You're in Elmont. Okay. Yeah. It's in Elmont because Dean's in Elmont or is he in Pakenham? Uh, I guess technically he's in Pakenham, which is, we're all part of Mississippi. So okay. that's where his name come from, comes right. from and Elmont's part of that as well. Okay. So just like previously talking with you, we were uh, talking about uh, the different styles of hops and things like that. Uh, how did you come to determine these were the three main hops you wanted to try and grow? Well, um, I mean, we, as you know, we live in a pretty rough climate. Um, you know, a lot of the growers in Ontario are down in Southern Ontario. They have it a little bit better than us. So, you know, we looked at a, what do brewers actually want, right? Like, what would they buy out of a local hop? B, what actually grows here? And then kind of the biggest challenge for us is, you know, these things take four or five years to get to maturity. You want them to kind of be in the ground as long as possible. So you're talking like 15 plus years. So we're trying to figure out, you know, what do brewers want in five years? And so the big kind of message was, you know, the three C's, Centennial, Cascade, Chinook, those are kind of your cornerstones in this area. You can mm -hmm. grow them all day. They grow well. Brewers will take them. Um, but so we did Centennial, we did Cascade, and then we threw in Galena. Um, so Galena is kind of that curveball where, you know, it's a hop that was developed, I believe, in Idaho back in the 80s. Um, we have brewers today who have no idea this hop even existed, right? Like, they're I so new. Hop. They're so I young. love this hop. Yeah. And so it, it is a great hop. It's a high alpha, uh, kind of mid-level beta acid hop. I think it's a really good kind of filler hop. It's a really good bittering hop um, that still provides a little bit of citrus flavor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we see, we see the move, especially in the IPA space, you know, you're moving towards these super um, fruity, fruity hops. Um, but they're expensive too, right? And yeah. so you want to use a lot of them. They're super expensive. What can you actually backfill that in with, which still supports those other hops? And so that's where we, we took a gamble with Galena. And, you know, so far the reception has been really good. People are excited that, you know, they're seeing it again because it's not really grown around here anymore. It's one of those hops that like it rose up in the late 80s, 90s. It died down. Um, nobody really grows it anymore. So we're, we're kind of excited to, to offer that one. Right on. So I like personally, like I said, I, I love Galena. I've used it in stouts and things like that, but on the smaller scale. Um, so are you like producing the hops and then turning them into pellets? Or are you selling them as whole cone? So first year we just did whole cone. Um, we don't have, you know, the equipment yet to, to fully pelletize it. We were looking at that for this year. Um, but I think this year we're going to continue with the whole cone approach. Um, 
you know, the equipment for pelletizing is large, expensive. Um, and so this year, I think we're going to stick with the, uh, with fresh cones. So, I mean, I'm a huge wet hop fan, um, every year, you know, at harvest time, I'm all over whatever the brewers are, are doing with wet hops, because I find it's just the freshest experience you can get out of a beer. Um, so obviously I'm, I'm hugely in favor of, of wet hop beers and selling wet, wet hops, but, um, you know, you actually see the bigger farms now taking that whole cone and flash freezing it, um, and not processing it. Right. So, um, they're trying to give their brewers that fresh experience all year round or as for as long as possible. So okay. I think we're seeing kind of a trend in the growers to push towards whole cones, um, for that reason, for just, just more fresh. Yeah. Okay. So what's the difference between like, say a wet hop and just say something like you would get like a whole cone for, from a company, say like BSG, which is like been like dried out. Uh, well, what's the difference is exactly that. Like one's dried out, uh, and the other one isn't right. So right. you're looking at, uh, a weight difference of, um, uh, well, so, so you, you pull the hop with about, you know, say 20, 20% dry matter in it. Um, so it's 80% moisture, it's 20% dry matter, and you're trying to get that down to 10%. So, um, it kind of depends on the hop itself, but you're going to need significantly more hops if you're, if you're wet hopping, because most of it is just moisture that's going to boil off. Right. Um, so you, I've, I've seen some brewers, you know, do 10 to one, five to one, uh, it's kind of up to you, but you definitely need a significant, significantly more hops yeah. to do that. Yeah. I've noticed like, um, I've noticed when I've done like, um, the dried out stuff compared to the pellets. So if it's a, a, an ounce, I'm putting in like two to three ounces to compensate uh, for, for the amount. Of the whole cone, yeah, Sorry. yeah. So that's what 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 I've learned, and 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 personally, I find sometimes that the actual whole cone gives a better flavor than than a pellet does, because then you're not dealing with like a bunch of vegetative matter still in there, still kind of hanging out, giving off the al alphas and and betas and all that. Even though you've you possibly used a hop spider or a mesh bag, there's always something kicking around. Right, but. I guess with, with, with hops, it, it, it's a very uh, finicky thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to do. I mean, you got to have like these huge, like uh, hop um, trellises of anything else or hop lines. Yep. And yep. then you also got to, like, do you have to maintain them? Are they like so hardy? You could just let them go and be there, do their thing. No. So there's a, there's just a ton of manual processing when it comes to hops. Um, so, you know, what, what happens kind of in a typical year is uh, we wait a few weeks. So we get these bull shoots that shoot out of the ground first. We cut the bull shoots down. Uh, we're trying to promote flower growth, not vegetative growth, mm -hmm. right? So you actually cut down uh, your plants in the first couple of weeks. Uh, then you have to run individual strings for mm -hmm. every plant. So on our farm, we're taking a slightly different approach. We're gonna try four strings per plant. Typical, typical farm, they'll run two. Uh, space closer together so we're running four space farther apart um, and you have to do that every single year so for every single plant that you put in the ground you're running we're going to run four strings per plant per year and so you've got to anchor that at the top anchor that at the bottom 
when it comes down to like throughout the season, you're constantly fertilizing, uh, providing nitrogen. There are so many different bugs and diseases that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to see someone do organic hops is extremely difficult to see them do like really good organic hops. So if they're growing organic hops, do they have, like, I know Bo's out in Van Cleek Hill, they're an organic brewer and there's all kinds of hoops they have to jump through to keep that organic certification. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to grow organic hops, do you have to jump through the same amount of hoops and boundaries and things like that, that they would have to go through to uh, not only get the certification, but to maintain it? Yeah, yeah, you would. And kind of the biggest issue with that is actually your neighbors, right? So, you know, we we are obviously a farm surrounded by other farms. And if those farms are using chemicals, um, you have chemical drift, right, that right. can happen. And so, you know, I haven't gone through the process myself. I've read about farms actually needing their neighbors to go organic as well. So that means, you know, sometimes that farm is actually paying for the other farm to do that. Um, it's, it's a big hassle, you know, props to the farmers who are doing it. Uh, I know it's, it's not easy because it's not even easy with chemicals. So <laughs> right on. So if someone like me, um, mm-hmm. trust me, I'm not going out, probably coming out to see you sooner or later to come buy hops. But, uh, if someone like me wanted to, um, try and grow these at home, I know you, you need to buy rhizomes, but what would actually, would we need to do to try and grow it at home? I mean, I know personally for me, I have dogs, so I'm never going to try and grow them here because I know they're poisonous to dogs, but what would I need? Uh, well, you don't actually need that much. So they're an, they're, they grow like a vine, right? So mm-hmm. you need some sort of trellis structure. Uh, for most people, uh, I've seen people at home tied to like their eaves troughs um, or just some sort of post or tall tree somewhere. Uh, so for example, on the farm, you know, we have 20 foot posts. So we're going up 20 feet in the air, 18 feet in the air, actually. Um, mm. So you need something about that height. And really it's just making sure they have tons and tons of water, uh, that they're in sunny, a sunny area. Um, you know, you provide them any nutrients they might be lacking. They're, they're super nitrogen hungry. Um, yeah. And, and then you just need to watch for diseases and mm. that's, that's the big thing, but either bugs or diseases. Okay. So when you first started, uh, how many plants did you have to plant or how many rhizomes did you have to plant? Uh, yeah. So at the farm, so I, I planted in my backyard first mm-hmm. to start and kind of learn about the process and, and what, what I get from it. But uh, at the farm, what we did is uh, we only planted about half an acre. So I call ourselves like a micro hop farm for now. Um, we have lots of plans to expand beyond that and, and kind of become a big player in this space, at least in Ontario. Um, but right now we just planted half an acre. I wanted to see what the soil conditions were like, you know, how the plants grew. Uh, I wanted to see what kind of diseases they cropped up with, what kind of, um, um, uh, sorry, I'm just blanked, but um, okay. what kind of, um, you know, ground material um, or, or, you know, animals were coming to, to, to eat the hops. Uh, so we did half an acre, it's learning season. And then next year we're going to go, or this year, I guess we're installing a full acre. Um, flush that out now that we've got our irrigation system set up and controlled, understood. 
and uh yeah and then we'll just keep expanding beyond that so how many vines do you have now uh so we have about 260 plants um like i mentioned we went with uh kind of twice the spacing that a normal hop uh farm does so a normal hop farm would fit you know closer to 500 plants in the same space that we did 260. Um, and the reason why is because, you know, in reading online and, and talking to other growers, some people have seen success in running four strings per plant rather than two. Mm-hmm. And so we figured, hey, look, let's give it a shot. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then, you know, we've got another dozen acres that uh, we can fill out uh, at closer spacing. Okay. So do you have any of the local breweries uh, coming to you to buy uh, cones? Uh, well, first year is pretty small yield. Um, you know, when we planted, uh, we didn't see a drop of rain for 30 days. <laughs> There's nothing scarier than spending all this money, installing all of this stuff and putting the rhizomes in the ground and not seeing a drop of rain for 30 days. <laughs> yeah. I but, get it. yeah. That gets it grew, up. it grew. Right. So we, we had a hundred percent growth out of everything, which was awesome. Um, but uh, that definitely stunted the growth of the first year. So for the first year, you know, we just we just kind of gave it out to the, all the local home brewers that uh, reached out to us. Um, we've talked to a few breweries in town. Um, we just need to get the scale up. That's really the, right. the big thing. Okay. So now I'm bull- pulling a blank. This is this happens to me all the time. I'm like, I get going, <laughs> I have a I have a thought, and I lose it. Um, so. The hops you're growing, like you said, there's a Centennial, I think you said Citra? Cascade. Cascade. So those ones I find are like predominant in IPAs. Are you finding that a lot of the growers now are tending to grow in conjunction on what the, the current beard trends are, or at least for the craft growers, and then go from there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so tricky, like I mentioned. So, you know, definitely Centennial, Cascade, those are the more IPA focused. We're starting to see kind of hoppier Pilsners and Lagers, which are interesting, which I think those can kind of play into. The Galena is fairly well-rounded. You know, you mentioned using it in stouts uh, and darker beers. You know, when you look at the, the trends, it's, it's, it's just so hard as a grower. Like what can actually grow here? versus what people want in hops or want in their beers. Um, you know, we can't, we can't get access to some of those Citra ones, those uh, Eldorados mm-hmm. um, and whatnot, right? These are all proprietary plants that uh, some of, someone our size is never going to get access to. So, you know, we're looking out uh, for um, people that are generating new strains that are gonna be available to us. So there's some interesting work out on the East Coast that's happening. East Coast growing environment is even worse than ours. So yeah, I can, sort I of, can contest to that. I grew up in the Maritimes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it so sucks. it's it's something like it's 20 days shorter than ours already. And ours is kind of stretching it. So um, they're doing some interesting work out there. And if they can produce something that lives out there, you know, it's going to be super promising for us here. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a fine balance of, stuff that grows versus what people want in five years. Uh, it's, it's tough. Right on. So, and then I guess, like you said, you said some of the, some of the varieties like for you to try and grow as a hop farm are hard to get a hold of. Yeah. I know 
myself as a home brewer, like and going through some local homebrew stores or other homebrew stores, they offer up rhizomes of say like uh, citra or whatever else. Do we trust those or do, or can people like <laughs> yourself you, uh, buy, wipe them out completely and say, this is what I want and just <laughs> clean them out of everything they have or. I mean, if you're, if you have a source for a citra rhizome, there there's, I'll take it because nobody sells those. Really? Um, that's not something that should be for sale. That that has to be under a licensed agreement um, with Yakima. And ah. uh, the farms that take that stuff, like I saw one last year, a new farm starting up with, uh, I believe it was Citra. It's 30,000 plants. Um, so like they're <laughs> getting a hold of a Citra rhizome is is kind of, uh, you're not going to, you're not really going to do it. Um, I don't know if you want citra anymore. Anyways, I think it's better. Well, you, you, well, you know, <laughs> citra, mosaic, centennial, and uh, you know, cascade. Those tend to be some of the most popular hops out there, and I think maybe that's could be why they're so controlled. Am I? Could that be it? Well, the, the I mean, so when when those hops come out, right? Like they're they're, it takes about eleven years for you to actually develop a hop and get it to market. Right. And so these are the hops that, that were just perfect for the market. It was the right fit at the right time. Um, but what you see is as that hop starts to move out in the world, right? So it gets licensed more and more. Um, it starts to change. It starts to adapt to its local environment. So all of a sudden, the citra, which, you know, comes out of, you know, Yakima Valley is no longer really the same citra that someone might be growing down you know, in uh, the Southern States somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so it starts to change a little bit over time. And, and um, this is why you start to see hops also fall out of fashion, right? Like all of a sudden they were super citrusy or they were super whatever spicy. And then that sort of diminishes over time as the hop reproduces and reproduces. So um, it's kind of this constantly moving uh, aspect of, of brewing. Um, but what's nice about things like Centennial Cascade uh, and whatnot is they've been very stable for very long. So, mm. um, okay. Yeah. Do you work with other farmers when uh, other hop farmers well, when it comes to uh, collaborating to try maybe maybe possibly cross pollinate or anything else like that when it comes to certain types of hops? Uh, not us right now. Um, you know, we're part of the Ontario Hop Growers Association, so. You know, we talk to the other guys, um, the other farms out there, uh, you know, it's a lot of work to try to work together. You know, I think there is a desire to, to be able to do that because if you look at the Ontario landscape of hops, there are only something like 180 acres in all of Ontario mm -hmm. for growing hops. And that's nothing really. Um, and so the trick is that, you know, if you're going to brewers and breweries, big breweries, they want volume. They need volume. If you want to be that staple hop, right? They need acres and acres of mm -hmm. hops dedicated just to them. Um, so I think there's, there's maybe a desire in, in the Ontario space to work together to help deliver that. But um, right now, um, in terms of actually developing new hops, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of anyone that's kind of working together on that. Um, okay. We have some long-term plans to to take it on, but like I said. You're looking at 10, 11 years before you can really get it going. Okay. So 
You mentioned the Ontario Hop Growers Association. So is that like a cooperative or a collective or just an overarching authority to make sure everyone's playing nice and doing what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, like that, right? So it's not that that playing nice or, or whatever. There's no kind of price control in, in this. It's um, it's really just gathering the hop growers together to share and learn with each other to be able to recommend to brewers. So say, I don't have a certain hop that they want. I can recommend another grower in that association who might have that hop. Um, you know, if if one grower runs out of Cascade, we can recommend another grower who has Cascade to kind of backfill it in, uh, things like that. So it's just getting everyone together to kind of promote hop growing uh, in the community and the use of, of local hops, right? That's a big thing for us. Okay. So how are you getting your, your name out there? Are you doing it only through like social media or are you doing it through say like people like Dean or, or, or some, maybe some local uh, homebrew stores? Yeah. So, so right now, you know, we've been, uh, you know, we're a part of some of the, uh, the, the homebrewer uh, chats or, or um, mailing lists. We are working with Dean a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we can do kind of a bigger bash here in, uh, in Ottawa uh, around Dean and, and maybe get Escarpment Labs to play with that too. Um, but yeah, a lot right now is social media. We're spending a lot on, you know, the branding, the look and feel. Um, we're really focused on just trying to get super high quality um, because we want to be able to offer the freshest, best quality Centennial Cascade Galena out of anyone to, to all of the people in Ontario, right? Um, mm. We know we can't compete with the big farms down in the US. We never will be able to, nobody yeah. in Ontario can. So, you know, we're just super focused on just getting the best product we can and as fresh as possible as well. Are you finding that like on the home brewer side, are you finding that a lot of us are starting to come towards more of say the craft maltsters and the craft hop growers vice going to someone like BSG where, or Yakima Valley where it's, it's there, you just grab it and go. Cause I know me personally, I rather prefer, I would prefer to support someone like you than a big company because I find it's the smaller people that put so much love and attention into what they're doing that you get such much better uh, product out of them than if you just go to say BSG where they just find a like a mm -hmm. I guess a distributor or whatever else or they have a certain part of a crop and they take it they pet the pelletize it and then they push it out to everybody yeah so do, do you find that or yeah I mean that's 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 kind of the what we're going after um you know we we, we can't compete with those big guys so we put you know, we're, we're out there. Uh, we don't actually live on the farm yet. So I'm out there three or four days a week, uh, just looking at the hops, making sure everything's good, making sure they've got the right nutrients that they need. Um, yeah, we're just super focused on getting good quality out there. Um, and like I said, super fresh too, right? Like that's something that we can offer all brewers, say in Ottawa, right? There are what, 50, 60 uh, small breweries now and so many more home brewers now. Yeah. Um, and, and we can offer you the freshest product you will ever have in your beer, right? You can literally pick it off our vine and put it in your beer the next day. Wow. Okay. So if the mob is listening to this here in Ottawa, this is the guy you got to come talk to for your hot products, all right? If it's Galena, Centennial, or uh, Cascade, this is the guy and come talk to. Okay, guys, members of Barlington, go talk to this guy, please. And 
for the guys down in the States, for the brew tubers, uh, talk to me. I'll see what I can do to, to smuggle it across the border for you. <laughs> we sent some to the U.S. last year. Uh, oh, yeah? I'm not afraid to do that, yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm a part of an online brewing club called the Brew Tubers. And okay. we do everything we do and put it up on YouTube. And these guys are fantastic. So Brew Tubers, Battlehouse Hops, support this fantastic gentleman, please. This, this is the guy you want to come and talk to, all right? So what are you planning for the future for hops? Are you looking at any, any different varieties that can uh, be supported in the environment that we have here in, in uh, Eastern Ontario? Yeah, so we are. Um, the So we have roughly 12 acres of current land that we can use for, for hops. And the original plan has always been one variety per acre. Um, so that's, that's enough juggling for us, you know, varieties, kind of, they're, 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 um, they, they come to fruition at different times of the year, right? So when we think about processing all this, we can't, to have 12 acres at once would be, would be terrible for us. So um, we're looking at uh, getting to 12 different varieties. So we right. want to be able to offer a good enough volume of a hop. You know, we have a lot of, of home brewers come to us like, oh, what about this? What about that? It's like, well, I want to, I want to, I want to do a, a, an acre of it, right? Can I sell yeah. 1,600 pounds of Mount Hood? I don't uh, know, right? Never heard that one. <laughs> um, so it's like we have to think of it from that perspective, right? And so, like the response that we get from these these little test sites, um, that sort of helps guide us, right? So, like the response we got out of Centennial was super good, and that's actually the one we planted the least of. So we're going to probably do more Centennial next. The Galena response has been amazing. So we're going to fill out the acre of Galena and Cascade is just that staple that we can easily hang our hat on. We know it grows well. Mm. Um, so we'll do an acre of that as well. But yes, we will have more varieties, but we got to start small. Otherwise, we're just going to, we're just going to get stuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. So um, I know Dean is in a a bunch of local homebrew stores. Are you trying to get into some of the local homebrew stores with your product or is that, that, that not in the plan? Um, it's in the back of our minds. It's not our number one plan. So um, I, in my background, like I've, I've built up uh, uh, brands before and sold worldwide. So I'm not afraid of taking that on and seeing how we can do on our own. Um, I'm not opposed to supporting those, those stores and selling through them. Um, like I said, it is tough because we're small, right? We can't compete on price. So we have to look at margins and where it all ends up. Not opposed to it, but for now, we're just going to go direct. That's the number one uh, approach for us is direct. We're building up the brand. I'm working on all new packaging right now. Um, so yeah, we're just going to go direct. Okay. So what else should we know about your fantastical farm and your fantastical business? <laughs> uh, well, people might wonder where the name comes from. Yeah. Um, so we're not like, I don't know, we're not like big army or, or gun people, but this property that we bought um, has a really unique history. And so it's kind of a two-part history, but the part that we played on was the battle house part. And so this piece of land was used as a training facility for the RCMP. Uh, and so what we have is we, there were actually two buildings on site that they called battle houses. And this is where they did those close quarter gun trainings. 
I know all um, about those. I'm retired military. I know all yeah. about CBQ. That that's, there you go. That, that's that's <laughs> as an infantry soldier. That's your that's your bread and butter. Going in and doing room clearing and urban environments, everything else. So yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's where the, the so we still have one battle house on site. Um, so you can see, like, I guess I don't know where the boss man stood up top on the, the the catwalk right and you could see all the rooms that they would go through and do the gun training the walls are uh i don't know three and a half feet thick uh the whole building is sunken into the ground so the bullets uh, if they do leave just hit dirt mm -hmm. and uh, you know kind of scattered around the property we've got false walls we had like mm -hmm. tubes that guys would have to go through um it's what was interesting is so when we first took ownership of the property uh the site hadn't seen action in like years like nobody was ever on this property right and so people just started driving up the laneway and they're like i used to work here or i used to i used to come here all the time um and before it was our rcmp training ground it was actually radio site for the government right. of canada oh, wow. um so we have these huge like radio tower bases all over the place <laughs> um so it's, it's got a pretty unique history that's that's kind of where it comes from and so we're just going to kind of run with that so we're actually growing hops in the structure the rope structure that they used really um on site so yeah that's pretty cool all right so if you have any pictures of that send them to me and i'll put them up along with this interview so people can see what we're talking about sure and uh yeah no that that's that's totally cool i mean i know from my time in the military for having to do room clearing and things like that up in petawawa and then when we were getting ready to go overseas to Afghanistan, we went down to Fort Drum and their uh, CQB rooms are totally different from what we have. So ours um, aren't necessarily the, the safest <laughs> because behind them, not only do you have the walls that absorb the round, but behind them, you also have a cinder block. Okay. So, so you always have that chance that something can bounce back at you. But at Fort Drum, the way they work it is they have uh, these walls that are like, maybe they look like cinder blocks, but they're not, but they're three deep. Right. And uh, they're made of, it's this really cool material, which is made out of paper and whatever else. As soon as the round hits it, it absorbs all that kinetic energy and slows it down to a dead stop. And sometimes okay. the round will go through the first brick and stop the second, but by the time it hits the third, it's done. It's not going anywhere which is pretty cool. And we've yeah. gone through these places, picking up all kinds of different sizes of rounds and things, there's empty casings. I'm pretty sure you found your fair share of empty casings in that place. Oh yeah. There are thousands and thousands of bullets in that building. <laughs> and like ours, so our walls are, there are three layers of six by six cedar. And then I think it's like two layers of wall. And so they would just swap out the cedar as yeah. they destroyed them. Um, but also, they're not very good because there are a lot of bullet holes in the roof of that building. We had to repair a lot of holes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't necessarily the Mounties are actually any good shots. But I have friends who are RCP. I'm not saying you guys are bad shots. Just some of the guys you're training are bad. <laughs> but you could actually turn that place into maybe something that you're, you can make money off when people come visit you at the farm. It could be like a little attraction or something. Yeah, so I would love to do like some processing in there or something and, and kind of so we're just trying to stabilize the building right now, make sure it doesn't yeah. fall down. Um, and eventually we'll get to kind of bringing it back to life and making it usable. 
Awesome. Well, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time. And I know we had a little bit of time scheduled. I just had something pop up my screen that I need to go run and take care of with my family. So family calls, I got to go. But thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. And guys, honestly, this is the gentleman you want to come and talk to about his hops. I am going to be going in, uh, and, and seeing him about getting some hops for, for my brewing. And possibly even picking his brain a little bit about some ideas that I have. So guys, please go and see Ian. He's a great guy. Almont is not that far from here. It's only maybe about 45 minutes. Go down to Almont, go visit him, have a beer somewhere, bring, <laughs> bring back like at least a truckload of hops, keep him in business for a while. We want to see him really succeed. So Ian, thanks a lot for your time. And uh, we'll see you on our side, guys. Thanks a lot, Ian. Thanks. Take care. Thank you.